right attitude to your holy presence. We give you praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, what was the, I was thinking overcome. They sing the line about being overcome by his presence. You can be seated if you like. How many of you have ever had one of those times where his presence is just shown up in a fashion that you just do? You feel overwhelmed by his presence. You know, sometimes his presence comes in and there's just a, there's just a, an atmosphere of joy in the place and, and a place kind of erupts. And there's other times his presence comes in and there's this, there's this sense of holiness that, that you almost can't get low enough. I'll never forget years ago, I had a moment that I was just restless about some things going on and looking for direction. I was praying for direction and was in the house and couldn't sleep that night. And I'd slipped out of the bedroom and left Kim sleeping and just kind of walked into the little den area and just kind of got on my face before God and was just praying and asking for direction. And then all of a sudden, the atmosphere changed. And there was a presence that came in that felt so holy and so overwhelming that all of a sudden, I just couldn't get low enough. All I could do, I was, I was sitting on the couch. Next thing I know, all I could do is just lay face down on the floor there in the living room just saying, Lord, I am not worthy of your presence, but I thank you for coming and being here in my hour of need. You know, we live in a world and we live in a time where there's a need for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we just need to be a people. You know, I, was, I, I look at this, is, has nothing to do with my message, but I got to ride this for just a moment. There is so much fear and there's so much anxiety and there's so much worry and there's all these things. Everything seems to be in turmoil and, and, and you've got political debates on one side, political debates on the other side and legal debates and all this stuff and, and how do we handle this medical thing and that medical thing. It's just all up in there and it's all turmoil. You know what has really hit me recently? We just need a genuine move of God. We can pursue all these things and all these avenues, but man's never going to figure it out. We've got to get back to pursuing him and let him have his way. We need an old-fashioned revival. And we can say amen, and I'm not dissing that, but the point is, at some point, we've got to start doing something to pursue that. At some point, we've got to get on our faces and say, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to come, and we need the atmosphere to change. So I challenge you this week, just begin to pray. Just begin to ask the Lord to do those things and show up on Sunday. Show up on when you gather. Show up in, and with the atmosphere that you have already prayed over the service, and you're expecting God to do something. Amen. Like I said, that was a freebie, so that does not count anything towards my sermon time this morning. This week I was in my own private devotion time. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll have a series or something, doing something that God, that God gives me that kind of spreads out over several weeks. And sometimes just in my own time in the Word, there's just a passage of Scripture that I come across and it just jumps out at me and I feel the need just to dig a little deeper and lay it out. And, and so this week I ran across Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it just really spoke to my heart. And so as I was thinking about that, I, I began to look at things and I began to talk through that. And so I've given today's message the title, Directed, because as I was beginning to think about that, I, I thought of something, you know, I don't know if you're, if you're a fan of riddles, but I thought of just a little riddle I would throw out there. There's nothing life, I mean, well, I guess it is kind of life-changing, but there's, there's nothing that is probably you ha don't know about this, but here's a riddle I want to throw out for an answer. What is the thing least likely to be taken as directed? Life. We take medicine as directed. 
There's probably not a single one of us that we go to the doctor, they write us a prescription, we sit down. Most of us, now there's some idiots that go a little far with this and, and things that happen, but, but most of us, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to double check that little bottle two or three times and make sure that we're taking it only as directed. Right? In some ways, we're good at following directions. When we're headed somewhere we've never been before, what do we do? We punch it into our phones or a GPS, and we listen to that little voice telling us every little turn to make because we've never been that way before. And we're, our idea is that, you know, if I'm going to get there safely, I'm going to go as directed by that voice. Yet too often we ignore the still small voice that's supposed to give us direction. We ignore the instruction manual to life that we were given. I can't tell you how many times I see people that profess to be believers that will argue against Scripture when Scripture is very clear on the subject, but they buy in to other ideas and other things and they just go hook, line, and seeker down a wrong path. With their thought process. All this really hit my mind when I read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 this week. And it's real simple. We've all heard it. But it says this. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Actually, that's plural. Paths. That means more than one. See, this, this passage contains probably one of the greatest promises we could ever grab a hold of. God promises you, if you will do certain things, that He will give you a directed life. He will give you a straight path through the confusion. That's why I chose the graphic that I did, because it shows all these paths and all these signs. And how many of that's no, that's the way life feels right now. And yet he promises us a straight path, cutting through the junk and being directed. He promises to keep us on track. So I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty great promise, right? And I pointed out that it doesn't just say path, it says paths. That means that he has a plan for your education path. That means that he has a plan for your career path. He has a plan for your paying the bills path. Your retirement. And here's the best one. He's got a plan for your path that when all this is over, when all this is said, when all this is done and we're finished, he has a safe arrival into his presence path. So no matter which path we're talking about, God's promises, He promises to direct them all. So many times, we get off course, and we make mistakes, and many times it backs up to the facts we haven't really let Him direct our path in that area. I love what David says in Psalm 37, 25, when he says, I've been young. And now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Isn't that a nice promise? That he will direct our path. And if we follow that path, you know, like every one of God's promises, though, let me notice that most of his promises in his word comes with some qualifications we've got to meet. That there's some that there's some things that is our part of the deal that he promises I will do this if. So what's the conditions that he puts here when he talks about I will make your paths straight? First, he says that we have to be trustful in the Lord with all of our heart. Then he says that we have to lean not on our own understanding. And he says to acknowledge him in all 
of our ways. So we're going to look at those for a little bit this morning. Because I've learned something. Every failure that has ever come in my life was when I forgot one of those and tried to blaze my own trail. My own trail usually ends up in a blaze of some kind, but it's not a good one. A few years back, some, uh, I know Billy and them were on the trip with us, and I've never really shared it this way before, but this is just a small example. We were, we were decided we were going to buy a, a vehicle, and we were going to buy a used vehicle, and, and uh, because, you know, I don't know about you, I just don't care much for payments. So, we found this Lincoln Aviator that looked really, really clean. And we were going to buy it, and we, both of us, talking afterwards, both of us had this check in our spirit, don't do it. And, but as we were getting ready to walk away, the guy came down on the price quite a bit, and we had the cash, so we bought it. Disaster after disaster after disaster after disaster until we finally like, you know, we got to get rid of this thing. It's costing much just more to drive it than just, you know, even on the trip to Kentucky, the transmission lets us down in the middle of nowhere in, in, in Arkansas. I mean, just one thing after another. We walked away from that and we said, you know what? Apparently God directs our path even in our car buying experience. And we decided that from that moment on, if we had that little voice saying, don't do it, we weren't going to do it. The point I'm trying to make this morning is this. If you grasp anything today, grasp this. Live this life only as directed. I mean, that ought to be a sticker on every baby that's born. That ought to be something that is put before every marriage, before every decision that we lie in life. If we will live our life only as directed, how much better will our lives be? So let's look at this. Let's talk, talk about the first one, a trustful heart. Believe it or not, God is pretty big on trust. That's big with him. That's huge. How many times do we see him just flat out pour blessings on those that trust him? He's big on trust and he directs our paths for those who trust him, it says, with all of their heart. It starts with trust. But with all of our heart means that our heart has to be in it. How I many know that if you, when you raise kids, there's, there's moments of obedience, but you can always tell when their heart isn't in it? Isn't it much better when somebody's heart's in it? You know, if, if your spouse or significant other does something with you for Valentine's and you can just tell that it's because of a sense of obligation. It doesn't quite have the same impact as when they're doing it with all of their heart. When they put thought into it and it matters and that, that sentiment, that moment. So how do you think God feels when we just kind of do things and we, but we don't really do it with all of our heart? A great New Testament example of God directing our paths to those that trust him. I was really looking for an example. I ended up landing at a place that I, you wouldn't really associate with this. This is a passage of scripture that we normally read at a funeral. But John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus is talking to his disciples as he's getting ready to part. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's Jesus' version of saying the same thing. Trust in God, trust also in me. You know, if God, think about it this way. You may be wondering why I use that passage, but if God has a place in heaven reserved for those that put their trust in him, think about this. Don't you think he might also prepare other things for us along the way, like our career, our spouse, our family? He promises to do that for those that trust him with all their heart. You know, I I often wondered, how is it? And this really hit me this week as I was working on it. Why is it we're we're, we're pretty good? Looking around the room, I'm looking, you know, we're pretty good at trusting him with our eternal, eternal soul. Oh, I asked Jesus. I mean, probably everyone else could say, tell us exactly when they asked Jesus in their life, when God got a hold of them and they trusted him with their eternal soul. And, and we're like, yeah, I got that. My, my destination is heaven. I had this encounter with God. I've trusted him with my eternal soul. But if we trust him with that most precious thing of all, why is it we struggle so much with trusting him with everything else? Because too often we don't. Too often, we don't say it with our mouths, but our actions say, Lord, I trust you with my soul, but you might mess up who I marry. Lord, I trust you with my soul, but you might mess up what kind of job or position I take. Most, one of the most dangerous words we can ever say is, Lord, I got this one. You stay on the sideline on this. I see people all the time that take positions or do things because this looks a little bit better. And when you really talk to them, they never even stopped and asked, Lord, is this what you have for me? The children of Israel got themselves in trouble when when they made a treaty with the Gibeonites. It looked good. It sounded good. So they entered into a treaty. And it backfired on them, and the Lord, and it, the dangerous words, but they did not inquire of the Lord. How many times do we get ourselves in trouble because we did not inquire of the Lord? You know, my whole ministry life, and believe me, I know people that don't, but this is just an example. I see people, I've heard, I've heard people make the comment, they're looking for a certain type ministry position. The Lord called me into ministry. He didn't say where. I was like, well, it's because you're not listening. <clears throat> Instead of looking for the best position, ask him, Lord, where do you need me? When we came here from a much, much larger church, from, by all accounts, a pretty cushy position. We came because, without a doubt, the Lord made it clear, this is where I want you. And our response was, yes, sir. Now, I wouldn't change anything. Because, you know what, how many know that he doesn't always put us in the most comfortable place, but he puts us in the best place? And I think that's something we've lost as a church and lost as believers is, is we, we want to, oh, Lord, I'm really fixing to get in it. We want to put together our little shopping list. I'm looking for the place that checks this box, this box, this box, this box, and this box. But what happened to, Lord, where do you need me? Where can I plug in and make a difference in the kingdom? That's where where our heart needs to be. Oh, I don't like it. 
Because sometimes that means God's that means God speaks to people and he says, You're done here, I'm moving you over there. That was the hardest thing in the world. We had to walk away from a place that we had spent 14 and a half years and the roots were deep. All the roots are deep here now, and I'm not planning on going anywhere, but if he speaks, I will. But if he doesn't, my roots are deep. But it's hard when you swim, because that means that sometimes God moves somebody, and you're like, no, not them. Take that one over there. No, I'm kidding. Mostly. Mostly. But why is it we don't trust him with all the decisions in our life? And we think there's some things that we know better. Because when we go off base, that's not trusting him with all of our heart. When we fail to trust him with all of our heart, we end up in the wrong marriage. We end up in the wrong school, wrong job which ultimately leads to the wrong path. See, God is looking at our heart. And when he finds a heart that trusts him, when he finds a heart that directs, that he, can, he directs that person, person in the way that they would go if they will trust And sometimes that means, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know why you're taking me this direction. I can't see where I'm going. This doesn't look right to me. But you know in your spirit that it's right. That's when sometimes you just have to pick up one foot and put it in front of the other and say, okay. And take it a step at a time. Because God's looking at the heart. So what does a heart that trusts God look like? I thought of that, I thought of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Talk about a heart that surrendered at a young age. Can you imagine putting yourself in Mary's perspective where all of a sudden an angel appears and lays out all this news of what God's going to do in your life? And to be able to respond with the phrase, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. I mean, think about that. She surrendered despite all of what that would mean. In that culture, to be an unwed mother, not good. All the things that could have and would have been said about her and all the, the things that, that she went through and that she faced, but to be willing to, Lord, may it be to me as you have said. She surrendered. You know, most of us, when we gave our life to Christ, Kind of like when we stood across from our spouse and we exchanged our vows. We vowed to give the Lord everything. And in that moment, we mean it. But then somewhere along the line, and we're all guilty of this. I mean, everybody, me included, somewhere along the line, sometimes we're going to say, Lord, I know I gave you everything, but I'm going to pick this one back up. I think I'm going to keep this one for a little bit, and I'm going to keep that one. You know, you're in charge of everything else, but let me take these few things and direct my own path. See, the truth is we have an enemy, and he does not want us to trust God. He does not want us to surrender our hearts to him. Think about it. He he successfully prevented Adam and Eve from trusting in God and surrendering to everything he said. Make no mistake. When Eve reached for that fruit, it was because the enemy had convinced her not to trust what God said, not to trust that he truly had their best interests and hearts and that there was a reason why that was the forbidden fruit. And yet so many times we do the same thing. 
There's something that we know is forbidden, but it looks so shiny, and it looks so pretty, and it looks so good, and everybody else is doing it. And we somehow think that he convinces us that he's actually offering a better plan. This whole world system is built on the idea of a better plan than what God intended. And we're buying into it by leaps and bounds. Everywhere I look around, I see people making steps. I'm like, don't go that way. That is not what God intended, but it's what everybody else is doing. And it's the common wisdom. We are witnessing the consequences of people that are following the alternate plan. Which leads me to the second one. Insightful leaning. You know, the truth is, we all lean. We all lean on something. We're all leaning one direction or, some, or another. And it says that God directs the path of those who lean not on their own understanding. You know what I hate about today? Is you can't find a news source that doesn't lean. I remember as a kid, I, you know, and I don't know all the details. I didn't take the time to research it. But I remember there used to be a doctrine called the Fairness Doctrine. And that, that news services were required to give equal sides, equal time to the equal sides. And that was done away with. And now you can't find a source that doesn't lean one way or the other. Sometimes it's hard to get to the truth. But there is something about we all lean. And which way we lean? We either lean biblically or we lean secularly. That's the dividing line. We either have a biblical worldview or we have a secular worldview. And the truth is an old Indian saying that basically is translated to what you feed grows and what you starve dies. And what do we all do? If we're already leaning some, some way and some, some argument comes against what we are leaning, we want to go and find something that justifies our leaning. And we run and we do that. And so what we need to do is we need to watch our lean. Because it says for us not to lean on our own understanding. See, God, he directs our path. But if we're already leaning one way and his voice speaks and we're look, we look for reasons to say, well, that can't be God. Because we're already leaning the wrong way. You know, there must be two different types of understanding here but what he's saying there's in other words he's contrasting our own understanding our own leaning with God's understanding and our own gets us in trouble our own is is understanding contradicts God's understanding and we're all guilty of that degree proverbs 16:25 puts it perfectly it says this there is a way that seems right to a man but in the end is the way to death. Well, there's all kinds of stuff we hear out there today that if you just listen to it and you take it as face value, you're like, oh, well, that sounds right. The problem is, is it's based on human knowledge. It's based on human understanding. And it's contrary to what God's word says. See, God desires, if we will let him, to replace our understanding with his understanding. If you don't believe me, look at Romans 12 too. You've probably heard it a million times. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're off the path, if you're leaning the wrong way, you need a little spiritual rerouting. Because God's word is the beginning of understanding. I, I, I love when you get in a debate on God's word and somebody says, well, scientists have discovered. Yes, yeah, science discovered all kinds of things and they've been wrong. How many times have they stood up and declared, this is this way, and then a little bit later, a new discovery is made, oh, we were wrong. The best deal is follow this. If science contradicts with this, science is wrong. Well, years ago we went to Kentucky, and I'm just throwing these out, out there real quick, and we got to go to the Ark Encounter. Cool thing. If you ever get a chance to go, you need to go because this it's, it's really has some neat um, counter-arguments to what we hear all the time. was constantly drilled into our heads. And a couple of them that really stood out to me that I thought was just so cool because we, we always hear how that uh, these layers of, of sediment and rock represent so many thousands of years and how the layers of ice in, in the uh, Antarctica represents so many thousands of years. And they had a couple of examples there that just blows all that out of the water. They had a petrified tree that was discovered standing upright. And it had all these layers of rock around it on both sides. So for it to be petrified by the, by the means with which they say it is, that means that tree stood there for, for thousands upon thousands of years being petrified a layer at a time. Not possible. They also had a story of an aircraft that crashed in World War II that they found underneath the ice because they knew where it had crashed. They knew when it had crashed. And this expedition went looking for it. And they dug down and they found it. But according to the dating system that they used by the layers of ice, that airplane that had crashed in World War II had actually been there for thousands upon thousands of years. Science isn't always right. Live this life only as directed. Lastly, this morning, we need to recognize our guide. Have you ever gone somewhere that you were glad you had a guide? I was thinking about our trip years ago to Israel. I was so glad we had a guide. I was working on this. I was telling Kim, I said, can you imagine if we had got on the plane spent 14 and a half hours in the air, got off, had a hotel room, and got up the next morning, what do you want to go do today? Hey, let's see if we can get into this place. Well, we got to, let's figure out how we're going to get there. Let's figure out, you know, can you imagine the logistics of all that? It was kind of cool to get up, and there was a bus, and we had a guide that knew where he was going and knew how to get there and had it all, had the day all planned out. I mean, even down to where we we're going to eat lunch and all the time. Th- and it was great. We just sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. And when we got there, we had a guide. And I loved what our guide did. We all had this little device that we wore on our belt and we had a little earbud that we put in and he had a little deal with a microphone And we would go to a site, and I can't tell you how many times we saw groups that were huddled up in the crowd of all the people, and they're trying to hear what their guide is saying out loud, and so they're all pressed in in this little huddle of people. And and while he was teaching stuff, you couldn't look at stuff, we would show up on a site, and we could go over and look at what we wanted to look at and still hear his voice telling us what it was all about. And when he was finished and we had time to look around, he'd say, okay, everybody, moving on. 
It was great. I didn't have to worry about getting lost because I had a voice telling me every step to take. Yet we have people that want to live their lives getting up in the morning. Oh, what are we going to do today? Oh, trust me, those days are nice every now and then. <laughs> Yesterday, I mean, we never do this. We did nothing. It was awesome. It'll probably be a few months before that happens again. John 14, 4 and 5. Jesus has just said, I'm going to prepare a place. And you know the way where I, to where I'm going. John 14, 4 and 5. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, we all know Thomas catches a lot of grief. I kind of feel sorry for Thomas. Two events in Scripture where he questions and he's not sure, and that's all we think about. I mean, can you imagine he's in heaven right now living through eternity and everybody here on earth calls him Doubting Thomas. I almost feel like he looked at, guys, just drop it already. But if you think about it, he catches grief over stuff like this. Yet I'm telling you, Thomas was the one that was brave enough to speak up and ask the question everybody else was thinking. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus responded with the answer that every human being needed to hear. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, this is in response to Thomas's question, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, he's saying, I direct the paths of those who acknowledge me and acknowledge my Father. He's saying, live this life only as directed, and you that is the way to where I am going. So what does the Bible mean by acknowledge him? It means acknowledging God for who he is. He's Lord of all. How many know that we have a bad habit of almost, and I know we, don't, we wouldn't say this so hard, but almost acting like he works for us instead of we working for him. It's, Lord, do this for me. Lord, do that for me. Lord, meet my need. And I am so thankful that he does that. Isn't it wonderful when you pray a little prayer and all of a sudden he answers it, I mean, just like you prayed it? To me, that's one of those moments you just go, thank you, Lord, you didn't have to do that. Those are the moments that he shows us his love. But we should never forget to acknowledge who it is that we're following, that he is Lord and he is king and he's the one that calls the shots. We need to follow his direction. I know I spoke on this a few weeks back, but Psalms 91.14. Talk about acknowledging him with all of our heart. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he, here's this word again, acknowledges my name we better acknowledge him for who he is we better treat him as lord and king and savior you know we need to be able to recognize that voice out of the crowd 
Because we live in a day and time where there's all these voices trying to tell us what's right, trying to tell us how we need to believe on certain things and how we need to respond in this area and how we're supposed to respond in that area. And, and it's just being, we're being bombarded with it. We better be able to recognize that voice. We better take him at his word. We better trust him and acknowledge him in all our ways so that he can make our path straight. You know, imitation is a great thing. We hear phrases like father like son. You know, Jesus actually said the son can only do what he sees the father do. Wouldn't it be great if we just got back to being imitators of him? Because you think about it, that's what he says. We see things in scripture like, be holy for I am holy. We've lost what it means to be holy. Well, I know there were abuses. There, there have been times that, that holiness has been made more about the outside of how you dress and how you do certain things. That was never what it was about. Holiness is about the heart being right and truly living a holy life. He, tell us, he tells us to forgive as I have forgiven. I mean, we could all use to work on that one. Okay, no response. He said, freely give, or freely you've received, so freely give. We could go on down the list of all the things that he said, basically saying, just do what I did. Follow my example. When we act like Jesus acts and when we think like Jesus thinks and we follow him with all our heart, he will direct our path. He will make it straight. He says that we acknowledge him in all our ways. Here's my question this morning. Are you acknowledging him in all your ways? Are you leaning on his understanding or your understanding? Are you trusting him with all your heart? Are you trusting him in every avenue of your life? Are you just saying, Lord, I trust you with my soul for eternity, but I'm going to hold on to this stuff. The greatest Thing you will ever do is trust him with every avenue of your life. Let him guide your steps. I used to think, I don't know why I'm going here. I, I literally remember as a young man thinking, if I trust God with who I'm going to marry, I'll get somebody with a great personality. I don't know about you, but kind of like a lot of young men, I, I had a little bit of, I had some qualifications look, looks wise. <laughs> and, and when I reached that point in my life that I felt like I was ready to find that person, to find that soulmate, I, I, I tried all this and just was having no success. It wasn't until and I guess I'm saying this for the young people here today. It wasn't until I said, Lord, I give up. I surrender to you. You make the choice. As long as I live, I will never forget the Sunday night service that I'm standing there with some of my friends. About three or four girls come walking in, and they come walking over, and they sit down right in the row in front of us. 
And there was this one that was standing there. I was like, huh. She's kind of cute. <laughs> what I'm saying is, when I put my trust in him, he sent the right person across my path. I'm telling you, in every aspect of your life, trust him. Trust him. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. It's a very important question. Have you put your trust in him? Have you trusted him with your eternal soul? Have you trusted him with the other aspects of your life? I know the circumstance of most people that are in the physical audience here today, but for some of you that are watching online, have you trusted him enough? Whether here or watching online, have you trusted him enough to truly give your life over to him fully? Say, Lord, help me to live this life only as you direct it. And if there's anybody that, that you would say, you know what, I, I haven't really done that. Oh, maybe at some point you prayed a prayer. Maybe at some point you said, Lord, come into my life and wash away my sins. And that's part of what he does. And that's wonderful. But you haven't truly yielded your life to him. Or maybe you've never even done that. I challenge you to commit your life to Christ completely. Don't hold things back. Give it to him. Trust him. Let him lead. Let him guide. And it says that he will make straight your path. The shortest distance from where you want to be to where you need to get is a straight path. Is there anybody here that you'd say, you know what, I need to... There's some things that I need to give over to him. I need to truly, completely trust him and I haven't always done that. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Amen. Hands all over here. For those online, I challenge you to surrender to him. Give it all to him today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and I challenge you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Lord, I know that I can trust you for my soul. Lord, I thank you for coming. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I ask you to come in and to wash away my sins and to set me free and to make me whole. But Lord, I also know that there are things that I tend to hold on to. There are avenues of my life that I don't fully trust you. And Lord, I realize that that's wrong. I realize that that's sin. And so today, I lay those things at your feet as well. Lord, today I acknowledge you as my Lord and my King and my Savior. Today I put my trust in you. Help me to trust you. In the areas that I don't. With all my heart. And help me. To quit leaning. On my own understanding. But to follow your leading. Let your understanding become my understanding. Transform and renew my mind in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here today. Billy's going to be standing at the back with the offering bag if, if you um, brought your tithe or offering with you today. Uh, if not, you can certainly log in online and contribute that way. And um, 
God bless you and thank you for being here.